0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. An Erio's original.
2: I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. brain. Everyone, thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Now, today we'll be talking about a big one. The fall of the Aztec Empire. Why is it that in history class, we meet the Aztecs during the 16th century when they were actually a civilization with a history that started hundreds of years before? And then when we hear about them, all we remember is that they mistook the Spanish for gods and that they all died. Oopsie. Oh, yeah. And they practice human sacrifice. So don't worry too much about them. The important part is that we got the new land and the Americas was finally discovered. The truth is that it's way more complex than that. Unfortunately, the Aztec history was destroyed by the Spaniards, so much of what we know is what was recounted through oral history years after the fall of the empire, and it was mostly recorded by the Spanish themselves, who of course have their own version of the events, and it's shrouded in propaganda. So due to all of this misinformation, the dates and the details about the Aztecs had to be pieced together together. By modern day historians. Here's what you need to know. The Aztecs were a group of people who ruled over Mexico for 300 years from the 14th century to the 16th century. The empire is known for advances in agriculture, technology, and building impressive temples and pyramids. But how did a small, wandering tribe become the most powerful Mesoamerican empire of all time? And why did their brilliant civilization come to an abrupt end? The Aztecs originated as a small nomadic tribe in northern Mexico known as the Mexica. The Mexica believed that they came from a great mythical place called Aztlan, the place of seven caves. It is believed that the Mexica started their journey south around 1050 A.D., and 300 years later arrived in the Valley of Mexico. Around 1300 A.D., they landed at the highly developed city of Teotihuacan. Here, the Mexica were referred to as Chichimecas, a word that in Nahuatl meant barbarian or savage and was used to describe migrants coming from the north. They were ostracized, but eventually, the Mexica settled in the last uninhabited part of the valley. It was an undesirable swampy marsh in the middle of Lake Texcoco, incapable of growing agriculture. By the 1400s, they had transformed their swampy village into a flourishing city, said to resemble Venice. It had canals, bridges, buildings, floating gardens, a large pyramid for its royalty, and even a zoo. They called their city Tenochtitlan. By 1426, the Mexica ruler Itzcoati formed the Triple Alliance with two neighboring tribes, becoming the most powerful force in the Valley of Mexico. This Triple Alliance is what we now consider the Aztecs. Through the 1500s, the Aztecs ruthlessly expanded their conquest. They enslaved, killed, or sacrificed the people whose lands they took. The Aztec grew to an area of 80,000 square miles that expanded from central Mexico into parts of Guatemala. Led by Tenochtitlan's ninth ruler, Montezuma II, by 1519, the Aztecs were at the height of their power. But in March of that year a Spanish conqueror named Hernan Cortes arrived at the Yucatan Peninsula with 600 men. Cortes and his men settled on the coast and built a town they called Veracruz. Cortes learned about the city of Tenochtitlan with all of its Aztec gold and its ruler, who also happened to have many enemies. He then enlisted the enemies of the Aztecs and set off on the 250-mile journey to take control of the city. Word got to Emperor Montezuma about men who had landed on the coast with massive ships and weapons of fire and swords. On November 8, 1519, Cortes and his men arrived in Tenochtitlan. Most of us are taught in school that the Aztecs believed that the Spanish were gods and that they quickly surrendered modern-day historians do not believe that to be the case. The Spanish were greeted by Montezuma II himself, along with his chiefs. What transpired during this meeting and in the following months is highly debated, but whether out of fear or in an effort to maintain peace, Montezuma cooperated with the Spanish and offered them gold. This only proved to the Spanish that there was more gold for the taking. On November 14, 1519, the Montezuma is said to have been taken captive and held hostage, and the Spanish moved into one of the palaces. What ensued was a powerful game of chess amongst Montezuma, the Mexica, and Cortes and his men. But in April of 1520, rival Spanish forces sent by the governor of Cuba, Diego Velázquez, came to overthrow Cortes' rule. Cortes and a hundred of his men departed to meet his rivals, He left his first guard, Pedro de Alvarado, in charge. Tensions between the Spanish and the Aztecs reached a peak during the celebration of the Feast of Toshcati. Drunken Spaniards killed Aztec warriors and nobles inside the great temple. The Spanish account of this event is that they intervened to prevent a human sacrifice ritual. Nonetheless, the events at this festival incited an Aztec rebellion, which caused Alvarado and his men to hide in their palace without access to food for almost a month. Cortez returned from his successful battle to total chaos. He demanded Montezuma regain control of the people. According to the Spanish, Montezuma tried to control the masses, but was stoned to death by his own people and refused medical treatment. He died days later on June 29, 1520. The Aztecs later claimed that their leader was murdered by the Spanish. Two days later, on July 1st, in what would come to be known as La Noche Triste, the Night of Sorrows, The Spanish decided to flee the dangerous city in the middle of the night, taking gold from the palace vaults with them. A woman getting water spotted them and alerted the city. The Aztecs band together to stop the Spanish. Many of Cortez's men jumped into the water to flee, but were weighed down by the gold they carried and drowned. Only one third of the Spaniards made it to the mainland. It is believed Cortez sat down beneath a tree and wept. For a year, Cortes plotted his revenge. He rallied a hundred thousand native allies and nine hundred Spanish soldiers. Cortes's shipmaker built small sailboats better equipped for battle in the canals of the city and filled them up with cannons and artillery. The 12 sailboats blockaded the main causeway leading to Tenochtitlan, starving the Aztec people who desperately ate leather, wood, and drank salt water to survive. To retaliate, the Aztecs gruesomely sacrificed their Spanish captors. They tore out their hearts and dismembered them in full sight. The battle raged until the Spanish unwittingly unleashed a deadly weapon, smallpox. With no immunity to the disease, the Aztecs were quickly overcome and after months of battle, illness, and famine, on August 13, 1521, the Aztecs surrendered. When Cortes and his men went to claim their prize, they found that Tenochtitlan was destroyed with no gold to reward his soldiers. Cortes was humiliated by his failure to take the city intact and demolished anything that had been left standing. In the end, some 240,000 people were believed to have died in the city's conquest, which effectively ended the Aztec civilization. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats The word Aztec is not a word that they would have used to describe themselves. The Aztecs refer to themselves as Mexica, School history books emphasize that the Aztecs were a civilization known for practicing human sacrifice. While this is true, it is believed that this was exaggerated by the Spanish in order to use it as propaganda against the Aztecs. It is also possible that the Aztecs themselves, in an effort to scare away their enemies, duke their own numbers. According to historical writings, they are claimed to have boasted about over 80,000 sacrifices in one year. The first smallpox epidemic in Mexico killed an estimated 5 to 8 million people in the immediate wake of the Spanish arrival. According to an article in The Guardian, by 1550, 15 million people that's about 80% of the population in Mexico, had died by what was named by locals as "cocoliztli." The word means pestilence in the Aztec Nahuatl language. It was characterized by high fevers, headaches, and bleeding from the eyes, mouth, and nose. Death generally followed in three or four days. A second outbreak in 1576 killed half of the remaining population, In just over 50 years, at least 90% of the indigenous population of Mexico and parts of Guatemala had perished. Imagine 9 out of 10 people you know dying. Wow. Today with us we have producer Amanda. Hello. Happy to be here. And fact checker Chris Smith. Hi, everyone. And a very special guest. He is a friend of mine for maybe over 15 years and also producer uh, for the upcoming Netflix Walter Mercado documentary, Mucho Mucho Amor. Alex Romero.
3: Hello. So nice to be here. Hey, Alex. Hi, Alex. (laughs) Hey, guys. I cannot wait to see this documentary.
1: So Mucho Mucho More is a documentary about Walter Mercado, who is a guy that uh, all Latin kids grew up watching. He's sort of a combination of uh, Mr. Rogers and Oprah, uh, but dressed like Liberace and uh, he would tell our grandparents the future and sort of inject hope into our living rooms every day. So this is the this is the story of his life, and it's premiering on Netflix on July eighth. So please watch
2: uh, you uh, throughout. In many years, I've seen you get really excited and agitated over historical and uh, sometimes political uh, situations. So I, th- you're just a perfect person for this podcast.
1: I, ha- I have an unreasonable temper and a uh, <laughs> an affinity for the underdog, for sure.
2: What are your feelings just off the bat?
1: Well, one, you know, there's always the his- histories told by the victors kind of thing, you know. So immediately I distrust 99% of any account that comes from the Spanish on this one just right away. And, and therefore, like everything that's in our textbooks because it's from like that Eurocentric point of view.
2: So there's a lot that we need to cover. I, of course, want to start off with Hernan Cortez. And possibly the Spanish government, right. as you know, that goes with it. So a little backstory on Cortez here. Yeah. Cortez was born in 1485 in Medellin, Spain. The background on Cortez, according to Ancient History Encyclopedia, is that he had studied law at university, but at 19 years old, he had decided to leave Spain and try his luck in the Caribbean colonies. After running a plantation and participating in the conquest of Cuba, he was now in his mid-30s and ready for his stab at fame and glory. Perhaps not only out for gold, Cortez was a deeply religious man and the spirit of evangelism for him if not his followers, was an extra motivation to open up this new world. Now, Mm. History.com says the first European to visit Mexican territory was actually Francisco Hernandez de Córdoba. He arrived in the Yucatan from Cuba with three ships and about 100 men in early 1517. Now, Córdoba reports uh, on his return to Cuba prompted the Spanish government there In Cuba, and that's the governor Diego Velázquez, to send a larger force back to Mexico in search for Cordoba. So this is what happens: the governor of Cuba appoints Cortez leader of a new expedition to conquer the mainland of Mexico. Mm. And because Velázquez became suspicious of quote the independent minded Cortez and rescinded the order, Cortez sailed without permission in 1519. So, first of all, he wasn't the first person to land in in Mexico. That's false. And he was only chosen to go on the second expedition because the the Cuban governor didn't want him around. So, according to ThoughtCo.com, during Cortez's day, Spain had a very complicated legal system, and Cortez often used it to his advantage. When he left Cuba, he was in a partnership with Diego Velázquez, but he didn't feel that the terms suited him. And when he landed near present-day Veracruz, he followed the legal steps to found a, a municipality and elected his friends as the officials. They, in turn, canceled his previous partnership and authorized him to explore Mexico, Later, he coerced his captive Montezuma to verbally accept the king of Spain as his master. With Montezuma on uh, an official vassal of the king, any Mexican fighting the Spanish was te- uh, technically a rebel and could be dealt with harshly.
1: So, <laughs> I have so many things to say. <laughs> Please let let's talk. All right, first of all, first of all, who we're talking about here is a college dropout. Let's start with that. Right. This is a guy who I don't care what it says about his manipulation of the law. He was in law school and he was like, this is hard. And then he left law school (laughs) to do what? To go to the Americas. Right. Which at this point, to contextualize, going to the Americas is like a get rich quick scheme. They were all out for themselves. Like it wasn't really all this stuff about Jesus. Yes. They just want their own fiefdom. At the same time, though, I think this dude gets way too much credit because look at look at what we said at the beginning: a hundred thousand natives and nine hundred Spaniards, who allied with who, with whom? You know, like <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me nine hundred dudes, strangers who don't even speak the language, recruited a hundred thousand Native Americans to be their vessels not the other way around there's an entire version of this story where cortez is kind of a guy who got way in over his head like the story that they walked into this big ass city where this warrior king was living and they were like you're are you're under arrest now and stay in your <laughs> temple the guy was like look oh look cute little like Look at these white people. It's so weird. They remind me of the white panthers in my zoo. Let's put them in this little room over here so we can study them and talk to their funny asses for a little while.
2: And now let's take a quick break to hear what Dr. Camilla Townsend, distinguished professor of history specializing in early Native American and Latin American history at Rutgers University, has to say about Cortez and Montezuma's meeting.
4: So Moctezuma had been high chief for 17 years when the Spaniards got there. He was by then a middle-aged man, uh, considered very savvy um, and a, a very effective emperor or head of state. There is no evidence from that time period that he just... Gave up his kingdom and said, "Here, take it; it's yours." (laughs) Nor any evidence that they thought the white men were gods. You know, these things were myths that were developed in the late 1500s by Spaniards. Um, At the time, uh, Moctezuma was not certain whether he should fight or not, but he tended to think not. He asked certain subsidiary states, client states, to attack the Spaniards as they made their way up from the coast, and that did happen. And he learned from reports on those battles uh, that the Europeans were a force to be reckoned with. Remember that they were mounted on horses, they were all wearing metal armor, which shattered stone. flint arrows Um, so they they really were not a force that could be easily beaten Uh, probably if all of the central Mexicans had banded together to fight at one time uh, they could have won a battle but there would have been thousands dead for every one that died on the Spanish side because of their armor their horses their crossbows so Montezuma knew this and when he went out to meet the Spaniards as they were arriving we assume at this point the scholars assume that what he really wanted was information he was going to make these newcomers welcome in his city and get to know them and find out what they really wanted would some sort of tribute perhaps keep them away in future if he was willing to pay it that sort of thing uh, but there is no evidence that he actually was overwhelmed by the spaniards or looked on them with awe or thought they were gods uh, he just wished that his people had metal armor like they did
2: Hear the full conversation on Thursday's Aftermath. Who she blames for the fall of the Aztec Empire will actually shock you. And now back to the episode.
0: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together.
5: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for
1: me.
0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online HELP.com slash alarmist. Okay, so I think we need to talk about Montezuma himself. Ancient History Encyclopedia says that he ruled as an absolute monarch and was considered a god by his people and a manifestation and perpetrator of the sun, is the way that he led the empire to blame. With the fall of Tenochtitlan, the Spanish set about pacifying the rest of the empire and discovering what other treasures could be plundered. In this, they were helped enormously by two factors. The first was help from disgruntled subject peoples or traditional enemies of the Aztecs. In the march to Tenochtitlan, Cortes had already enlisted the enthusiastic, enthusiastic help of the Tlaxactal t- clans slash calans <laughs> both in men and supplies with the collapse of the aztec hierarchy other local communities were only too willing to see the back of them
3: well so, they had a lot of enemies they, they had, had a, and a that lot came of, back to bite them in yes. the ass
1: and yes. we can't forget that like what is what are the aztecs is really an alliance of three different peoples, right? So even who we're really talking about here are the Mexica, right? And Moctezuma like the, he's the king of all of them, but he's the king of the Mexica specifically. And the other two people, like they're the history between these three, like they came to an alliance kind of by force. Like the Mexica basically subjugated the other two groups. Right? So, If you're a monarch of any kind, you're thinking about your family line and the history of it. And I'm certain that the Texcoco monarchs we're not sitting there going, oh man, I love this Moctezuma guy. Obviously, they didn't
2: see the Spanish. They, I don't no. think Montezuma or the Aztec, you know, the Mexica really envisioned that th- these other people would come in this way.
1: I think that when you're like a king, you get a little arrogant, especially when you're like the, <laughs> the, the biggest king, you know? Sometimes I think the story's like weirdly inverted, where Moctezuma's like this naive guy, who like walks up and is like, hello, white people, come in, and then they take over. It's not like that. It's almost the other way around, I think, where there was like hubris.
3: Man's hubris. Put that up on the board. Instead of Montezuma's revenge, maybe it's Montezuma's hubris. I love it. Yeah. I love it, Amanda. (laughs) And I think that's a really good point, what Alex was saying about how in Montezuma's world, he was at the top of the pyramid, probably literally. And he probably couldn't even comprehend the other types of societies that have been around way longer. Like, there's no way he could have known that. But when the Spanish did arrive, and if what Alex's theory, what your theory is true, if if he was more like, ah, ha, ha, look at these little guys, he could have crushed them right Right. away. But instead, his hubris went, they can't touch me. So I'm going to like humor them. And then we see now how that turned out.
1: I don't think he expected that they would... Establish enough of a foothold to be able to ally themselves with other tribes. There's a guy named Ixtil. Let's see.
2: Ix. Oh, yeah,
1: that's a tribal. Ixlil Shochidil. He was the. He's
2: the Texaco He's the Texcoco guy, right? Exactly.
1: And like, this guy clearly saw a political moment and he had a bunch of problems. Like, his dad had three sons. The dad dies. They're like, I don't know. They're like, we don't want war within our little thing. So let's just split up Texcoco and we'll give each of them a chunk, right? Well, that was Montezuma's idea. Oh, interesting.
2: Uh, yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. So the the splitting of Texcoco uh-huh. was Montezuma's idea. Uh, and they did the north, the city and the south. Right. And the, the reason that Montezuma ended up winning was when you spread power yes. like that, his power then grew this was only in 1516 right right? so that's only like three years before the spanish get there now when cortez then you know takes his break and then is coming back he then gets uh, how do you say it alex how do you say his
1: name
2: he gets that guy (laughs) to be on on cortez cortez's side because right. he's angry about what Montezuma did to him just three years ago. Exactly.
1: One of the things that this guy Restall points out is he's like, at the beginning, before the Spanish got there, this dude had Montezuma running everything and two brothers on both of his, on his land. Right. When it's all said and done, this dude is the last king standing. Both his brothers are dead, and Montezuma is dead. And this dude's descendants go on to essentially rule that area and have political power to the point where, like, his grandson intermarried with the Spanish and became like a governor of an area. You know, it's that Lenin quote: "Like find who benefits, and there ye shall find the culprit." Do we put him on
3: the board? Let's put him on the board. Right. L- yeah. Can we give him a nickname?
1: Show Cheetle. Let's call him Show Cheetle. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I want to really apologize for our our oh, yeah. of yeah Let's be in this cl- Let's be clear. We're we're not
1: attempting to make fun of native people. We are making (laughs) (laughs) fun of how stupid we are that we cannot pronounce these names.
2: So we've got show Cheadle up on the board. I I was going to say we can put the uh, Tlaxcala, which were the warriors who essentially became allies of Cortez because they they were not part of the the triple alliance they lived up on a mountain nearby Uh and the mexica wouldn't would stop the the food and water you know they they were kind of like controlled by them and they were huge enemies
1: this is like if aliens landed and were trying to take out america and then they were like hey cuba do you want to take out america with us (laughs) And Cuba was like, yeah, fuck those guys. Like, they've been, like, blockading us for, like, a mad long time, you know? Mm.
2: So uh, another person who I'd love to put up on the board is this guy, Alvarado. Yes. He is the second-in-command, Cortez's second-in-command, and he's the guy that's left in charge when— Cortez has to leave the city to fight another battle, you know, like fight against the Cuban governor who's sending people to capture and kill him. He's the one who's at fault for this massacre, essentially, that happens against the Aztec noblemen. And about 200 Aztec chiefs were massacred. Uh, and, And what they said was that They feared that there was going to be an uprising.
1: One thing that I read was that part of this revolt, it was happening during a festival, and it was during the festival of the flayed flesh.
2: This is an account from the Spanish book called Visión de los Vencidos by Miguel León Portilla. When everyone was enjoying the celebration, when everyone was already dancing, when everyone was already singing, in that precise moment, the Spaniards determined to kill people and came into the patio armed for battle. They came to to close the exits. No one could get out anywhere. Once they had done this, they entered the sacred patio to kill people. They came on foot carrying swords and wooden and metal shields. Immediately they surrounded those who danced, then rushed to the place where the drums were played. They attacked the man who was drumming and cut off both of his arms. Then they cut off his head, which and then it flew off fa- uh, falling far away. At that moment, they then attacked all the people, stabbing them, spearing them, wounding them with their swords. They struck some from behind who fell instantly to the ground and their entra- entrails hanging out of their bodies. I-, I think this is where Game of Thrones got its inspiration.
1: I think it was like like everybody was... There was a party, they're like, their defenses are down, the Spaniards get drunk, and they're like, we could take these motherfuckers, you know? And then they go in there and just butcher a bunch of people, but with no real plan. Because after this, it doesn't go well. It's not like, and and then we took over, it was like, after this, they They
2: locked themselves up in the
3: palace without food or water, and waited for Cortez to come back. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, right, right. So, you
3: guys think this wasn't necessarily premeditated, it was something that just kind of happened. It's hard to tell, but I do think that Alvarado
2: saw an opportunity to just kind of like ha- yeah. cause chaos.
1: Listen, as someone who in some way descends from these monsters, like Latin men have a problem. We love being caudillos, is the word in Spanish. It means like. The fucking guy on the horse that like shows up to like save the day and shoot everybody. I'm sure this guy was drinking there. And then they get stuck there and they're like, now what do we do? He's like, I don't know. It was wasted and it felt like a good idea. Yeah. They sobered up. Yeah, no. They sobered up and they're like, oh, oh, Uh-oh. what do we yeah. do? Yeah.
5: This is, this is what the movie The Hangover is based on.
2: <laughs> and then Mike Tyson was there with the tiger. Been yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> All of Hollywood is inspired by the Aztec yeah. uh, oh. war. Exactly. So I, maybe we put Latin machismo up on 100%. the
1: board. 100%. That's That, I would say, okay. is heavily to blame for all of this.
3: So we Are, have time for just a few more, so we should try to get the rest of the names up on the board. Okay.
2: Obviously, I can't even believe we haven't even talked about this smallpox.
1: Yeah. I was going to ah. say that to me is the number one. Smallpox is Ooh. on the board.
2: Well, let's put it up on the board. The, the native people of America's, including the Aztecs, were especially vulnerable to smallpox because they'd never been exposed to the virus and thus possessed no natural immunity. Mm-hmm. No effective antiviral therapies were available. According to History.com, a, Fr- a Franciscan monk traveling with Cortez observed the impact of smallpox on the Aztecs. They died in heaps. In many places, it happened that everyone in the house died, and it was also impossible to bury the great number of the dead. They pulled down the houses over them so that their homes became their tombs. By 1520, smallpox had reduced the population of Tenochtitlan by 40% in just one year. Crazy. Smallpox took a toll on the Aztecs in several ways. First, it killed them particularly infants and young children and many other adults were incapacitated by the disease because they were either sick themselves, caring for the sick relatives and neighbors, or simply lost with will to resist the Spaniards as they saw disease ravage around them. Finally, people could no longer tend to their crops, leading to widespread famine, further weakening the immune system of survivors of the epidemic. So talk about a domino Mm -hmm. effect. First, they're sick, which then leads them to stop being able to grow their crops, which then stops them from even wanting to. And fight. then the
1: people came out and they were like, we need to reopen the economy. But then like the, the Moctezuma was like, I don't know. I'm going to leave it up to the States, you know, and it's
2: crazy how uh, these things just keep happening in history. Like it just keeps happening over and over and, to, and, and we like forget long enough. And then it happens like 100 years later again and again and again. Yeah. So so obviously that's going up on the board. I want to talk about one more thing that leads me to my favorite thing to put up on the board and to try and blame other than Castro. I want to talk about modern warfare and just go with me. So the second factor in the Spaniards Spaniards favor was primitive weaponry and ritualized warfare of their opponents the aztec warriors were pa- wore padded cotton armor and carried a wo- wooden or reed shield covered in hide and wa- uh, wielded weapons such as a super sharp obsidian sword club uh, a spear or a dart thrower and a bow and arrow Effective, though, these were against even uh, more poorly equipped Native Americans. They were not they were next to useless against the Spanish guns, crossbows, steel swords, long pikes, cannons and armor. Cavalry was another devastating weapon in the hands of the Europeans elite aztec warriors and officers also wore spectacular feathered and animal skin costumes and headdresses to signify their rank this made them highly uh, conspicuous in battle and a prime target to dispatch as early as possible so it leads me to ask can
3: we blame the fashion industry (laughs) (laughs) you're nuts you're grasping at straws I don't
2: think so. I look, it's part of the modern warfare. Okay, so I do think we should put the uh, Spaniards' modern warfare, but I also fashion. think the fashion industry had something to play yeah. in here. And it's such a status, you know, we use fashion for status yeah. and we use it to um, be uh, uh, to uh, continue biases towards other cultures. Yeah. And we, we, the just the way people look, we, we make assumptions, Fashion right?
1: just Yeah. Fashion ruins everything. Their shoes, no
5: shirt, no service.
3: Well, so, Rebecca, you're the boss, so we'll put it on the board. <laughs> but I, honestly, I think you kind of missed your chance with the triangle shirtwaist fire, and now you're trying to write the wrong. So we, can always, we can always go back to that one and, and do a retrial.
5: <laughs> no. What's done is done together. for that one. Um, I okay. have uh, one I want to put up on the board. Yeah, tell it? me. Um, religious zealotry, I think, plays a huge part in... I think plays a huge part in uh, the European sort of trek over to the Americas and also in getting up and everybody's shit. Like if it was just basically what Alex was talking about before, which is just like, all right, let's just try and, go access more resources and make a bunch of money. Like that's one thing, Mm -hmm. but like the Spanish were really determined to turn these savages, so to speak into like Catholics. Right. And like, that was like a, I'm not sure that that was wholly what Cortez was up to, but it was like a big part of the push from Europe into the Americas.
1: The church was very wealthy and the church also assisted In the colonization, right? right? Yes,
2: I think we can put that up on the board. I mean, my feeling is that that is really just an excuse that they came up with in order to get rich. Yeah. Okay, someone I actually don't want to put up on the board, but to traditionally she has been, is Malintzin. And she is one of the translators that helped Cortez communicate with Moctezuma and uh, the Aztecs. And now let's hear what Dr. Townsend has to say about Malintzin.
4: She was from the Veracruz area. It was called Coatzacoalcos in those days. And her people were threatened by the Aztecs. Uh, her people were eventually attacked and she was given into slavery and sold by Aztec merchants to the Mayas she was living as a slave among the Mayas when they lost a battle with Cortes and then gave her and 19 other girls uh, as a peace offering, as slaves. Uh, the slaves were to be the peace offering to the Spaniards. Uh, eventually, uh, Cortez realized that she not only spoke Mayan, but also Nahuatl, the Aztec language. Uh, she had learned that as a child because it was spoken in her area. So she was invaluable. There's a sort of a myth or a prejudice that exists out there that she was somehow selling her own people out, but she wasn't. Of course, if anything, she hoped to see the Aztecs destroyed because they had attacked her people who lived, as I said, in the Veracruz area. So she was a a slave uh, who had found freedom in in this war, um, and the newcomers, in her eyes, were good people. Because the Aztecs were the enemy.
2: Right. For years, I-, I feel like she's been used as a scapegoat. We're trying to right some wrongs here along the way. Chris, why don't you read out what here we go. have? we
5: Fall of the Aztecs. Who's to blame? Hernán Cortez, Moctezuma, Moctezuma's hubris. Uh, we got Chochitl, our guy mm-hmm. who we can't pronounce his name. Yep. Uh, then, do you want to, what's that one?
2: Oh, Tlaxcala.
5: Right. Mm-hmm. And so just to remind people maybe of who these people were, or, or uh, the t-
2: Tlaxcala was the uh, uh, group that was enemies with um, the Mexicas. Okay, they were the ones up on the mountain. Yeah. The 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 Cuba the aliens Cubans that metaphor. with the
1: aliens. Yeah, gotcha.
5: Then <laughs> um, you got Alvarado, um, who was left in charge, left with the keys. Yeah. Latin machismo. Mm-hmm. Um, you got your smallpox. You got modern warfare, the fashion industry, and religious zealotry. Ah.
3: What are we going to take off off We've, of the bat? I think you can take off the Cubans of the Cubans and the aliens.
1: Right. Okay.
3: Right. I like that because they were just, they just saw an
2: opportunity.
1: Yeah. Really? I know capitalism isn't up there, but I wish it were.
2: We can put it up. We got no rules I here. I feel like it
1: had a lot to do with it.
2: <laughs> do we, f- I feel like I'm going to take out Moctez- uh, Montezuma himself and leave up his hubris. Right. Because I feel like that kind of ties us. It's sure. more um, satisfying, honestly.
1: That's right. I agree.
5: <laughs> I think we, you can bounce the fashion industry, Rebecca, uh, and, and modern warfare.
2: Okay, fine. I mean, look, if you've got a metal sword versus a wooden sword, I don't know. I, I, I've never been to battle, but... I think I know who's winning. Right.
1: Is a sword, <laughs> it was, is a sword different than a sword? It's,
2: um, you know how I, I iron things and I also eat salmon? <laughs> okay. So uh, we have Cortez, uh, Montezuma's hubris, uh, Chochito, Alvarado, Latin machismo, smallpox, <sighs> religious zealotry, and
1: capitalism. I think Alvarado actually set the movement back because we're debating what brought the Aztec empire down. Right. I think that was like a foolhardy move and that almost saved the day in a weird way cuz they proved right. they proved to he, the he enemies so in dumb. that moment and then they were like, "Oh, y'all are really bad."
2: I agree with you. I'm taking him off the board. We're not and also like he w- I feel like Alvarado would want to be blamed yeah. for the fall <laughs> of the a- empire and it's like, "No, dude, you don't get what you want."
1: I think Cortez I don't even think Cortez belongs on there because he got lucky. Like, I don't even want to give him credit.
5: That's an interesting point. We can rewrite history here. Like, maybe Cortez wasn't to blame.
3: And, like, Cortez would have loved, loved... To be in the alarmist jail. <laughs> to be in the alarmist jail for this. Yeah. I have like to say, he- I Google image searched Cortez, and he seems to me to be more of a... Peter Sellers, Pink Panther type or a Mr. Bean type. Yeah. Like, I imagine him sort of as this hapless man who somehow always gets what he wants. No, I think you're right. He di- like the Sp- After this,
2: the Spanish like took away his his power and he was like, please let me go back to Mexico. And like he died trying to get credit for colonizing mexico and guatemala and he died before being able to go back to mexico
1: if it hadn't been him cordoba would have come back they would have talked they would have sent cordoba again i think it fell despite cortez not because of him Mm -hmm. i just
2: don't want to give him the satisfaction No, i bet you didn't see that one coming listeners (laughs) (laughs) i know that is a shock
5: they can't see anything
2: Uh, I I think next I probably want to take out religious zealotry Mm. because while I think that was a huge aspect and a huge tool, I don't think the reasons ultimately were gold. I I think capitalism over religious
1: zealotry. I tend to agree.
2: So we've got Montezuma's hubris, show cheetle, Latin machismo, uh, smallpox, and capitalism.
3: I think we can take show cheetle off the board. Really?
1: Well, I feel like it doesn't fall without Shochitl.
3: Huh? Remind me of Shochitl again. What did he get up to?
1: He was like this one of three sons of the guy who ran Teshkoko. And when he died, they gave, they broke up the three, three Teshkoko into three parts, and that was Moctezuma's idea. And then at mm-hmm. the, when it's all said and done, he's the only of his brothers to survive, and Moctezuma's dead. And he was like left in power, basically, to a greater or lesser extent.
2: I, and I, he's the one who joins Cortez, and then he,
3: and, and helps bring down. And then, and then, I, then his you know.
1: grandkid's name is Fernando or something. Like he just straight <laughs> sold out.
3: What an offense! Yeah. Oof. he's good for the slap. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, do we? I, I
2: think we can take capitalism off the board, actually, because I feel like there are other more, factors more that were bigger. Okay. We got big uh, the big four. Now remember, we we have to give away a big slap. And we have to send one thing slash person to the alarmist jail Uh out of these four things. And that's Montezuma's hubris, show cheetle, Latin machismo, and smallpox. This is where it gets hard.
1: I think smallpox goes to jail. I know I'm skipping ahead, but I think... No, that's okay. I think smallpox has to go to jail because it's the number... To me, that's the number one offender. I feel like any one of those other three things... Needs a good slap across the mouth.
2: Yeah, because like, well, when it comes to Show Cheadle, it's like, what came first, Montezuma's hubris or shows Cheadle's desire to get him That's back? That's
1: true. I mean, it's definitely Montezuma's the hubris because he first. sort of started it. Like, can you blame Show Cheadle for his actions? No. I don't. Yeah. Now, with that in mind, I don't even know if he belongs on the board. I think I got to take him I think off. You now, what of Latin machismo? Oh, it's huge. I think that
2: Montezuma's hubris. While I think it's like, hello, people, you you need to be aware of of, of this kind of ruling of of, of, a, of an empire. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ultimately it's the Latin machismo, and I would say the
1: Spanish machismo. That's what I mean, Spanish machismo. But I yeah. was sort of thinking of like like that uh, of us as Latin. Right. People, yes.
2: It it, it prevailed in in the... That was one of the things we kept from the (laughs) Spaniards. It's
1: a strong gene. It's a strong gene. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
5: I think for me, it would be really... It's a nice image to think about this uh, macho... Guy standing there and p- ch- puffing his chest out, and just all of us giving a big slap
1: yeah.
3: on his face. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I like the image of smallpox
1: in jail yeah. because that's going to have a big effect um, on the population. On the, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, Montezuma lost. You know, so it's like, do we really need to smack him in the face? I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's better to smack Spanish machismo across the face. I think you're
2: right. I'm I'm knocking Montezuma's hubris yeah. off the board, yeah. and I think it's settled. Spanish machismo, you're getting the big slap. Smallpox, you're going to the alarmist jail. Well, we figured it out. Yeah. That was
1: easy. Uh, thank you for ha- This is really fun. I love this.
2: Well, thank you for uh, also so much research. Yeah, I I'm mean, gonna, we couldn't have done it without I you. nerded out. It you know. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you would. I knew you'd nerd out. After the fall of the Aztec Empire According to History.com After his victory Cortes raised Tenochtitlan And built Mexico City on its ruins It quickly became the premier European center in the New World Cortes enslaved Vast amounts of surviving Mexica people He had them branded in order to show their status And put them to work destroying Their own city And building European-style structures As replacements the indigenous people of Mexico never fully recovered from Spanish conquest. Yet, many indigenous languages have found a way to survive. Vote for who you think is to blame by going to thealarmistpodcast.com. Follow us at the Alarmist The on Twitter, at The Alarmist Podcast on Instagram, or email us at podcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week. We'll be figuring out who's to blame for the 2008 financial crisis.
3: Areos.